of heroism in all this. It's a matter of common decency. That's an idea which may make some people smile, but the only means of fighting a plague is common decency. From the Plague by Albert Camus, 1947. Uh, yeah, you can always look to uh, Camus for some inspiration in these troubled times. Well, uh, I'm so glad that you made it to the House of Mercy. Um, well, what do we got here? So um, obviously we're not at all in the House of Mercy, but you're all out there on your own listening. And for that, uh, uh, we're grateful. You know, I mentioned last week that uh, my dad, who's a Baptist preacher, he regularly would go visit the shut-ins. You know, the shut-ins were those folks who, you know, for whatever reason, um, age or medical or whatever, um, wouldn't leave their houses or didn't leave their houses. And so he would go and visit them each week, bring them communion and pray with them and, you know, just check in on them. And I, my dad would bring me along. I loved going to visit the shut-ins. And, uh, you know, at House of Mercy, we don't really have a lot of shut-ins. Until now. Now you're all shut-ins. So uh, I'm glad to do this shut-in ministry. Uh, and, and along with that, if you would like me to come and bring you communion and pray with you, I would love to do that. Just uh, email me at uh, russell at houseofmercy.org. And I will come and we will figure out how to have a, uh, a safe and uh, yeah, healthy uh, communion and prayer together. Uh, so, moving right along, let's uh, say hello to the hardest working band in the church band business. It's uh, some sort of configuration of the mercy machine. Yeah, um, so what we had was Eric uh, and Eloise recorded uh, some hymns and sent them uh, by, you know, internet. I guess, to uh, Jeremy, where he put his uh, gun and moves on it, and then Jeremy sent it over to us. So we also did that. So great to have Sonia sending a prayer in for us to record here. And uh, for our liturgist, uh, Aaron Boley, reading the scriptures. And we're tying this all down together here on Selby Avenue in uh, Joe, Joe's studio. And for that... Uh, we're so grateful. Um, just so if you haven't known, you know, we are, uh, House of Mercy is suspended our public worship service until uh, Easter Sunday. And we might reevaluate from them, from then. But uh, until then, oh, one thing you might want to know is where's Debbie? Well, I guess everybody's gone somewhere now. Um, 
but uh, we, according to our bylaws, uh, have a strict policy that in a state of emergency, um, the, per the most valued leader has to be sequestered in a safe space. And while I packed my bag and waited for them to come pick me up, they never showed. But uh, evidently, Debbie is uh, being held safe. So if it all comes down, one reverend of mercy will remain. It'll be Debbie. So Debbie, I hope you're doing fine uh, where you are and that you're safe. I think you are. Another thing, uh, you know, a lot of people come to church. They give their cash at church to support this thing we're doing. Many people are out of work instantly. 4% of the workforce, I read, applied for unemployment uh, in this last week. That's a lot. But if you uh, will continue to give and support the House of Mercy, we appreciate that. It it's, uh, all goes to keeping this community together. Uh, so when we meet again together, we still got an ongoing concern. And... Uh, yeah, so thank you for that, and thank you for all you're doing for other organizations to keep them going strong uh, in these times. One more thing I'm going to say uh, is, as an announcement, we, um, in an attempt to keep more of the community together, keep intact, keeping each other's lives, tomorrow, Monday, we are launching the shut-in sessions. It's going to be short, daily check-ins with uh, hosted by me the reverend russell and then we're gonna have a band to come uh, and play well send us in three songs you know bands that help make the uh house of mercy happen over the last 25 years come play, play a three song set for us and uh you'll be able to go to our website and give to them on in a you know a musician's tip jar, or you can go directly to their sites, buy their merch, whatever, but uh, all their gigs have dried up, and they've supported us so much, so let's, let's give them some support in this time. So every day you're going to hear a little mini gig um, in the sudden sessions. We're thinking of it sort of like an online venue where folks can play, and then uh, we'll end each of those with a prayer from our, the writers in our community, uh, the poets in our community a prayer to send you on your day. So look for that on Monday. The best way to get all this stuff is to sign up for the House of Mercy newsletter. So go to our website and you'll find this all. Okay, well, this is the House of Mercy and welcome to it. Please join us for House of Mercy hymn number 40, The Old Country Church. There's a place here to
Let us pray. God of mercy, calm our fears, heal our spirits. Remind us joy has not vanished. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We ask that you be with the ones who were already isolated, even before the pandemic. The ones who are isolated by illness, disability, addiction, depression, and imprisonment. We ask that you make your love known to them in very real and palpable ways. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Give strength to those individuals who continue to go to work, who cannot stay at home. Bring strength to those who are caring for the rest of us, whether they are giving us a ventilator or ringing up our groceries. Give them rest. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We are grateful for windows, windows that allow us to see loved ones who are quarantined, windows that are made of glass, windows that are made from our computer screens. We are grateful to be able to physically see the ones who make our daily life filled with living. Even if we can't touch each other, hug each other, we can share a smile, blow a kiss, look into each other's eyes. We are not in a void. We are in this life together. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Make us aware of all the beauty in the world. As the streets are calm, the air is quiet, and our pace, and our pace stilled, make us aware of the beauty that you have given us in creation. The beauty has always been there. Make our eyes new to be able to see it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Thank you for social media, as weird as that may sound. Thank you for Zoom, for enabling teachers to see their students, to be able to share a smile with a colleague, to have a dance party with friends, to stay updated with family, for listening to this podcast. It provides some sort of normalcy, a reminder of who we are in community. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Thank you for the people who sing on balconies, the water becoming clear again, people helping others, sharing their toilet paper, writing old-fashioned letters, and finding creative ways to love. Calm our fears, heal our spirits, remind us joy has not vanished. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. Amen. The scripture reading for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, 
and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Word of the Lord. Post-Apocalyptic Praise Song, Part 2. I had another dream vision thing. Well, the same one, but more. It's about that song. That song. I'm beginning to suspect that it was not a dream. The room where I was being detained with Idiot John, only he wasn't Idiot John anymore, I realized was not a holding room of some cell in the bowels of this megachurch. I realized it was the old church library. I could see from the map mounted next to the door that they probably never used this old library anymore because there was a large area labeled Video Library and Contemporary Christian Computer Center. The room I thought was a holding cell was in a section that was shaded gray on the map and labeled simply with the word old, as if that was enough to tell anybody everything they needed to know about this part of the building. Old equals bad. You could hide anything if you just put it in a bag and wrote old on it. The contemporary Christians would have never had nothing to do with it. Old is one of those words that became a concept like uncomfortable, dis-ease, and uncertain concepts that were now universally avoided and despised. I know I'm beginning to sound like that guy who used to be Idiot John. Yeah, he's still in the room. He's in back in the corner. In the low light, it's hard to see him sitting on the floor with his legs pulled up tight against his chest like he's trying to wedge himself further into the corner. It's hard to see his face. He is still there. He stopped talking. He did not talk while I walked around the old library. I pick up, picked up this old soft cover. I realized it was the book. I opened the front cover. Given by Eugene Gilbranson in loving memory of his wife of 46 years, Mildred. Don't think it is all over, he said to me. I was so startled when he spoke that I jerked and accidentally tripped and ripped front cover and the dedication page off the old book. From the corner of the room, he went on, I will show you everything I have told you is true. You have the proof in your hand. The Contemporary Christian Commission Commission got it all wrong. Everything they've done, been doing, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God to every corner of the globe didn't work. It didn't work because they reached every single corner of the globe with the wrong news. Just look in the book. You don't believe me? Look in Matthew. It's the end of the book. Just read the last four sentences of Matthew's story. I read... Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. He kept going. I don't know where to start. He was excited now. I couldn't really see his face, but I could hear the spittle forming in the corners of his mouth. I don't even know where to start. I want to tell you about it all. In Jesus' time, you could doubt. We were called to make disciples. I am with you always. What if he didn't need to come back because he was already... No, no. There are so many things to tell you, but right now there's just not much time, and I can tell I'm frightening you. Here, just remember this. The Contemporary Christian Commission Commission started with the wrong commission. They took these last four sentences and distorted them until they became something they could control. But they started in the wrong place. Read chapter 10. It's right there in your hand. Read it. Down at my hands. One held the book with its cover torn off. The other held, held the old cover and the old Eugene Gil Branson dedicated page. I turned to chapter 10 and read the passage to myself. These 12 he sent out. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim first to them the good news of the kingdom of God. Proclaim to them that the kingdom of God is near. Heal every one of them that are sick. Those, are, those that are outcasts, like the lepers and the poor people, heal them. Restore them to their families and proclaim to them that all of God's children are welcome in the family of God of the new kingdom. I looked back at him. He looked back at me, nodding like he could hear inside my head and like it proved something. But the contemporary Christians don't hear that text, don't see the mirror. They don't understand what it is telling them, that it is messy. It is not going to be easy to go to the contemporary Christian culture and tell them about the new kingdom when they are control, in the control of the old kingdom? It won't be easy to tell them that they are not leading people into the family of God, but creating new consumers for the old kingdom, the contemporary Christian kingdom. This guy is no longer wedged in the corner. Now he's up on one knee in the corner, gesturing crazily, this sweeping upward motion like he's begging me or praying to me freaking me out. I did not come to bring priests into the world, but a sword. Get it? Jesus is coming not to confirm our own creation or to applaud our own understanding. He is coming to hack off the grotesque appendages we have grafted on 
Anyone who claims the contemporary Christian capitalist kingdom is not the kingdom of God will hear about it from their mother and their father, their sister and their brother. Your grandmother will put you on her church's prayer chain. Your grandfather will cut you out of the will or kick you out of the country club. Now, in the half-light coming in through the windows, I can see his upturned face. When it is not obscured by the shadows from the old pledging, praying gesture, I can see the spittle from the corners of his mouth gaining critical mass, falling back into his mouth only to be propelled into the air in this great arc and landing on the book in my hand, landing on the dedication page. Actual drops of spittle are visible on Mildred's name. Jesus was saying his disciples would have to give up their lives, be killed, but they missed it. The contemporary Christians. Nobody's getting killed here. No one is getting scorned by his family. No one is rocking the boat. No one is asking questions they don't already know the answers to. No one has any doubts. Nobody. It is, is nobody is one bit uncomfortable about the current state of the house of Israel. I mean, the Christian church. No one is ill at ease questioning the Great Commission Commission. No one is inconvenienced. There are no dissenters. Everyone is at peace. That is why we are launching the Counter Commission Commission, going to every church and asking them to be uncomfortable, to ask questions they don't know the answers to, to come to the Bible and to the church with uncomfortable questions. Exhausted and weeping, this guy collapses on the floor, which seemed a bit over the top. But I think I understood his point. He and his people, whoever they are, are going to launch a revolution against the forces, against the forces, against the forces that control all the power in the world, cultural, religious, political, and financial. But they're going to do it by asking people to make themselves uncomfortable? Well, at least you can't be arrested for that. But come on, this seems ridiculous. But then I remember a minister's convention I attended, and I remember having an identical experience at least three different times. I would strike up a conversation, some casual conversation, with one of the ministers, and we would get to talking about our churches, and they would tell me, we just laid back. We try to create a place where people feel comfortable. You know, just come as you are. Do you know when I preach, I don't even wear a tie. I just sit on a stool and talk to the people from my heart. All these different pastors are telling me the exact same thing in an attempt to show how progressive, authentic, and postmodern they are. Really, one preacher from Atlanta told me he didn't wear a tie as an example of how his worship service is postmodern. I don't even wear a tie. I just sit on a stool and share. I don't even wear a tie. Like the absence of a tie is a universal, universally recognizable good, a, a platonic form of 
contemporary Christian communication. And this duel? You think I'm making this up? When I preach, I don't even wear a tie. I just sit on a stool and talk. What is the deal with the stool? Is there a place where you can trade in your tie for a stool? You walk up to the counter and you give them your tie and they give you a stool and suddenly you're a postmodern minister? Finally, after the I don't know how many millionth minister said, you know, when I preach, I don't even wear a tie. I burst out, why? Why? I remember shouting to keep him from saying stool, knowing it would send me into a homicidal frenzy. Well, he said, looking at me, kind of hurt, I just want everyone to feel comfortable. That's when I realized it is true. Everything that guy was saying was true. Everything the minivan people said is true. The contemporary Christian police slash usher slash ex-professional sports guy came back and let us out of the library. He said, I'm going to free you. You're free to go. And I said, what about the minivan? And he said, there are more important things to worry about. And he just left me in the hallway. I looked back into the library where the other guy was no longer there. The guy who was not idiot John was no longer there. He disappeared. So I ran, quietly. I went down halls, upstairs, around, and through breezeways until I started to hear a dull kind of rumbling sound. I followed it as it got louder and louder. I had this kind of chaotic but massive feel to it. I looked back into the library where the other guy, who was no longer Idiot John, was. But he disappeared, so I ran, quietly. I went down halls, upstairs, around and through breezeways, until I started to hear a dull kind of rumbling sound. I followed it as it got louder and louder. It had a kind of chaotic but massive feel of a crowd in a gym or a convention hall. Then I went through a set of double doors and right into the midst of a large crowd in a gym or a convention hall. The place was huge. There were easily 7,000 people there. Everybody was dressed usually, khakis, golf shirts, no ties, except for this one guy. The place was crowded and people were all standing packed together, except around him. People kept their distance from him as if they didn't want anyone to think they were with him. This guy's fashion infractions weren't limited to his tie. He wore a three-piece suit made of some kind of wrinkle-free fabric, which had somehow managed to become wrinkled, thus guaranteeing that the wrinkles would never come out. As I was noticing how this guy was sort of an outcast, I looked around and noticed a similar people zone had formed around me. So I went over and stood by the wrinkle-free suit guy. As I did, the lights went down and a speaker came out with a stool and a cordless mic, sat down, and began to talk. I am so sorry to report that the world did not end. 
We've tried our best, but it simply keeps going on. And despite our best efforts, it looks like Jesus is not coming back. There was no huge reaction from the thousands of delegates there. Just a collection of exhalation, of hopelessness. You see, this wasn't really news to any of them. The rumor had been circulating for days that the commission was going to formally announce that the world was not over. I heard several people in the crowd mention what a shame it was that the world did not end after they had put so much work into it. This must have been the prevailing feeling because the speaker then announced that because everyone had worked so hard, even though the work did not end and the world did not end and Jesus was not going to return, they were going to sing the song anyway as a sign of their faith, as a celebration of all their hard work. The praise team came up. The rear projection screens came down. And they all closed their eyes and sang like it was the end of the world. Just closed my eyes and raised my hands when the wrinkled suit guy grabbed my arm and pulled me close and put his lips to my ear and said to me, what does it mean? If you lose your life, you will find it. What does it take to realize that your convictions have changed your status in the world? What strength of character is required? What do you do when you are beginning to understand the implications of what you believe? When you hear the words that make your muscles burn and your mind leap forward in an endless chain of possibilities and logical causes and effects, if X, then Y, if Y, then Z. What exactly do you do when it is no longer possible to look at everyone around you doing things and wearing things and buying things and talking about things on the television and what everyone on the television is wearing and buying and doing and talking about when it is no longer possible to look at everyone around you and say, that is me. That is me. I am like that. I do those things. I wear those things. When instead you are compelled to say and jolted by the compulsion, that is not me. I am not like that. I no longer belong where I once belonged. When your world starts to end, what do you do? I turned to him, and this makes me think it was a dream because everyone started singing louder, yet it's also perfectly quiet, and nobody paid attention to the two of us. And I said to him, what do you do, Bill? The world is starting to end. There are choices, he said, pushing his lips deeper into my ear and it is possible to make the wrong choices. There are dire consequences for making the wrong choices. When your world starts to end, when your life starts to slip away, you can stop it. You can grab hold of your old life, hold it close to you and keep it. Then you can pretend that the experience of almost losing your life the panic and exoration 
felt when your world almost ended, you can pretend that experience was the formation. And you can pretend that life you are living is not the same old life, but the new life. That the old kingdom has passed away and the new kingdom is near. What are the consequences if people make that choice, I asked. The world turns out like this. What else can you do if you let the world end? If you let your life, the life you knew, slip away? If you lose your life? Yeah. Just then I started to feel this weird sensation like I was sinking or drowning, like everything was going black and I was going to lose consciousness. I asked him straight out, is the world going to end? And I'll tell you what he told me. What if the world ends one person at a time? And what if the new world begins one person at a time? And what if you bring each person over the line, help them die by wasting time with them, by listening to them, taking advice from them, or eating with them at the dinner table, a communion table. I lost consciousness. I woke up in my office with the phone ringing and my car keys in my hand. My journal was open. Floor. I answered the phone. There was someone there, but they didn't say anything. I looked down at my journal. Then something caught my eye. I noticed my office door was ajar. Next Sunday came and went. We hadn't seen you yet. I should. church last Sunday was all I came to say when I knocked the door swung open and the house was in disarray I should have called the elders instead I just left a card saying we'll see you in church next Sunday and together we'll praise our Lord From that self-same Sunday I stopped by your house again The door was still standing open And this time I did go in I went into the kitchen And through to the back bedroom It was there I saw the 
full-length mirror and a bottle of some French perfume. Next Again I came a-callin', your name was on my callin' list. I'd promised all the elders I'd let you know that you'd been missed. Your house, it was not empty, a bunch of fellas were there for me. They said they knew I visited often and wondered, could we speak? questions and I told a hurried lie too ashamed of the gospel to let on what I've been stopping by now I'm living on the county they pay my meals and rent they said I'd be out next Sunday Next Sunday came and went. Next Sunday came and went. We hadn't seen you yet. I should.